0: Taking it to a
3: do it yourself level. Hello, and welcome to another edition of the Beyond Zero Show. Coming to you from the studios of 3CR Melbourne, syndicated around Australia on the Community Radio Network, and podcast on the internet at bze.org.au and 3cr.org.au. And you can also follow us on Twitter at BZETech show. My name is Kay Winnigal and I'm joined today by my co hosts, Natalie Bucknell and Michael Steindall. Hello, Kay. Hello, listeners.
2: Okay, hello everyone.
3: Today we're talking to Johanna Bauer, who has a solar engineering degree and works as a consultant. She, in collaboration with two others, has recently released a paper called Regulatory and Retail Arrangements for Community-Owned Embedded Networks, and it uses Narara Eco Village in New South Wales as a case study. As BCD has identified with their zero carbon communities report, there is now a strong movement of communities seeking to live more sustainably and developing community owned and operated microgrids, which incorporate large amounts of renewable energy technology. With current regulations tightly restricting the sharing of electricity between properties off the main grid, Johanna is here to clarify how these microgrids can operate within the current regulatory and retail frameworks in Australia. Hi Johanna. welcome to the show and thanks for making time to talk to us and our listeners.
0: Hi Kay, thanks so much. Good Good to to be here.
3: Great. Firstly, can you tell us a little bit about yourself?
0: So I studied solar engineering at University of New South Wales and I've done some work with Suntech, which is a solar manufacturing company, um, also with Infigent Energy and Solar Analytics, which is a solar monitoring company. And I did some research at CSIRO looking at what happens when we connect a large amount of renewable energy into the grid. And at the moment, I'm currently working in consulting. And today, I'm here to speak with you about my recent thesis topic, um, which is all about community-owned and operated embedded networks.
3: Okay. So tell me what community-owned microgrids are.
0: So... Many communities are deciding they really want to live a more greener and sustainable way of life. And frankly, they're set up with the coal-dominated generation mix that they would get through um, connecting to the grid with a regular traditional retailer. And so many communities are creating small, small eco-villages where they are either standalone, so they're not connected to the main grid or maybe they're connected to the main grid for backup support, and these communities typically have a large amount of renewable energy, so they'll have solar, batteries, maybe they'll have smart meters and smart energy systems, and these communities are really trying to um, do innovative things with their energy to try and reduce the amount of emissions that they emit.
1: So, Johanna, what sort of size are we talking if we say a microgrid? Is it sort of in the order of 100 users or connections or what sort of, is there a range of sizes that comes under that definition?
0: Yeah, so it depends. Um, a microgrid is any kind of grid that's separate to the main grid and it has a certain amount of um, connections that, that are not not connected to the main grid. And um, at Narara Eco Village, for example, they're going to have 60 different houses but then in the second stage they'll have maybe one hundred and twenty houses. So it really is a broad range of numbers and there's no no definitive number on or how many connections in a network make it a microgrid.
1: So to be set up as a microgrid, does it need to be purpose built as as that structure or could could an existing, you know, small town convert to operate in a microgrid manner? So there are both. A lot of
0: um, towns are really trying to push towards being more renewable and converting their existing network into a microgrid. And um, so that's called a brownfield site because the infrastructure is already existing. But then there's also what we call greenfield sites, which are new communities that are creating a new microgrid. And... Um, yeah, it's all nothing is already established there, yet.
1: Okay. So, you so, can go both yeah, ways. Yeah, there's
0: a bit of both. Yes.
1: Yeah. And and if, you know, if a household is set up with solar PV and battery perhaps or whatever, why link up with surrounding households to form a microgrid? Why why not just go it alone?
2: Yeah, what's what's the business so model behind it? What, what's mean? the
1: benefit of being connected? So the
0: benefit is that Everyone can share their renewable energy system generation and so if one house does not have any, um, energy being generated at that time then they can, they can use the solar energy export from maybe their neighbor or a few houses down and, um, in this way they can really like optimize their energy use to try and use more and more solar energy that, for the most that is possible and they can also have, um, battery systems that are connected to all the different houses in the community and um that can optimise the energy consumption on a whole community level so that the community is all um both saving money together and using more renewable energy. So that's the main advantage. And um in, in Narara Eco Village for example, each house will have a solar P V system but Maybe each house won't be able to afford a battery energy system because they're still quite expensive at the moment. Yes. In the coming years, Narara is expecting to be able to invest in more in batteries. But at the moment, um, probably most households won't have them. And so it's very beneficial if they can all have like a shared battery bank. And um, yeah, so that's that's one other big advantage of having a community microgrid
1: Fantastic. So, there's multiple community uh, community owned microgrids in the planning stages throughout Australia. What's the typical business model that's been considered?
0: So, a lot of the community owned and operated microgrids are considering um, to be connected to the external grid, and so that can provide any backup energy when they're not able to produce enough solar energy in their own network. Um, so that's, that's quite necessarily and yet, unless you want to install huge amounts of batteries, which will be very expensive. So a lot, of, a lot of these community microgrids are connected to the external grid and they operate as something called an embedded network. And an embedded network is um, a network that has one point of connection to the main grid. That's called the parent connection point. And then it has many points within the network that are called the child connection points. And um, what happens is the embedded network operator buys energy at parent connection point and sells that energy to all the child connection points in the network.
2: So, um, Michael here, Joanna. Um, The point you just made is actually really important um, for listeners to recognise the engineering aspect of this. It's, It's the same if an individual house wants to go off grid, that last 5% of cases where there might be no sun for a week or something, it's massively more expensive, like maybe a factor of 10 or more, to provide for that last 5%. And by staying grid connected, whether it's an individual or or an embedded network, um, that optimises things for both the embedded network and the grid, in that the grid doesn't have to um, provide a, a great big thick trunk to that network. Um, but they do top it up. So Mm. with these embedded networks, um, I understand there's special rules um, from AEMO that um, control how they're allowed to operate. Can you tell us what they are?
0: Yes, so um, embedded networks were initially... The structure was created for things like caravan parks, shopping centres, airports and things like that. So... um, the kind of embedded network structure has been around for a while and now it's being applied more and more to um, community energy projects. And the regulatory framework can be pretty complex actually and difficult to navigate for community energy projects because they might not know very much about this topic. So a few of the regulatory challenges are that um, any of the embedded network operators have to provide a choice to their customers to be able to leave the retail contract with the embedded network operator and enter into energy sales contract with any external retailer. Mm -hmm. So that is one um, regulatory challenge because it means that their customers could potentially leave at any time. So they have to design their network to try and make their customers not want to leave. And then some Another regulatory issue associated with that is they actually have to pay for the management of the embedded network to be able to facilitate that transfer of customers from the embedded network to an external retailer. So that's another regulatory
1: challenge. So that's a big overhead for a small organization, isn't it?
0: Yes, yes, it can be quite a big overhead. So this is a new role and being introduced at the end of the year, this power of choice review, it's called. And um, so, yeah, it hasn't really happened much in practice yet, but people do think that it's going to be quite expensive to have this embedded network manager who's going to um, facilitate the transfer of customers because they'll have to do quite a fair bit of work to get the customer like disconnected from the... Ex- retail contract within that embedded network and connected to the external retail contract.
2: And the, and the embedded regulations were or the embedded network concept was set up for airports and shopping centres and so on, which is quite different from the sort of communities you're talking about, isn't it?
0: Yeah. So it's different in the way that the communities mainly want to have a large amount of renewable energy and they want to be able to do some innovative things with their tariffs. So, um, they want to be able to sell energy to their customers in a different way that regular retailers sell energy to their customers. Mm-hmm. So, normally in embedded networks, in caravans, shopping centres, things like that, the embedded network customers will just be on a tariff that is very similar to what they'd get with an external retailer, more or less the same. Um, but Narara Eco Village, they really wanted to. Have some kind of tariff that makes customers want to use more of their energy in the time when they have a lot of solar generation. So kind of shifting everyone's load so that in the hours of about 9am to 3pm when we have a lot of solar power, people are going to be using more energy then because it's actually cheaper for everyone in Narara Eco Village if they do that because they are going to have a large amount of solar PV. Every house will have solar PV. Mm-hmm. Um, they're going to have five hundred and thirty-three kilowatts in total. So, if they wow. can really mm-hmm. take advantage of the solar PV resources they have, that's really good. So, they want to make their tariff to be cheaper in the solar period, so everyone uses energy at that time.
2: So, this is Nar- Narara Eco- sorry, Narara Eco Village. This was your case study. For your research?
0: Yeah, that was my case study. And Narara Eco Village is a is a community eco village on the central coast of New South Wales. And it's going to have sixty houses in the first stage. And it's got um commercial buildings. It's also got a smart grid with smart control systems and approximately eighty eighty kilowatt hour battery bank. And it's got a real community mindset. So they're going to have shared community spaces where everyone can go and um, have community events and things like that and they're not going to have any fences between the houses even so neighbours will be friends with each other really able to see each other all the time and um, they're going to use a co-op structure of governance which gives all the members in the community a say in the planning processes. So... Yeah, they're they're going to create something very special there and they're already um, building quite a lot there. They've built most of the civil construction works and will start on houses very soon. So it's quite an exciting project.
2: It it does sound it. So how are they going to actually manage the distribution of the power in this eco-village?
0: So they're going to create their own energy utility called Narara Eco-Village Power. And it's going to be the job of Narara Eco Village Power to buy the energy at the parent connection point of the embedded network and sell it to all the children connection points in the embedded network. So, yeah, this, this energy utility, Narara Eco Village Power, has to decide what tariffs they're going to charge to all the customers and they have to navigate those uh, regulatory challenges and they also have to maintain and operate the microgrid.
1: So they're like a retailer and distributor in one? Is that, is, yeah. am I reading that right? Yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah,
0: that's pretty much it. So they're um, they're both a retailer and a distribution network provider, and they're also the operator of the embedded network. And also they'll probably have to have some kind of manager for the embedded network as well.
3: And how do they charge their customers then within that network?
0: So normally Embedded Network puts their customer on a standard time-of-use or flat-rate tariff, similar to what they'd obtain from an external retailer. But Nev wanted to create more innovative tariffs, and so they've uh, created tariffs.
3: Sorry, Johanna, um, Nev is, is that, uh, for our listeners, Narara Ecovillage? Narara Ecovillage,
0: yes, Narara Ecovillage. Village, Power, yeah, so they've created tariffs that make energy cheaper in the solar period. So everyone wants to use a lot of solar energy, and um, that's the. And then what happens is um, they buy any of the energy that the customers are generating through their rooftop solar PV systems, and then they they buy it from each customer and sell it to the the next customer, and um, they also trade with the external grid. So they have to pay all the energy prices to the retailer at the, at the parent connection point.
3: Mm, yeah, it's a bit of juggling, isn't it, to try and work out what the optimum pricing is?
0: Yeah, it is, it is a bit of juggling. And to, to kind of determine the optimum pricing for the embedded network, you want to make sure that the profit of Narara Eco Village is maximized and they can recover all of their costs. Which can be quite expensive, and um you also want to make it cheaper for the customers in this in community embedded yeah, network to, to then if yeah, you want to make it cheaper for them to be in that community embedded network than be with an external retailer and you want to make sure that each customer is paying their fair amount for energy, and yeah, you want to make sure that the tariff is something that the customers will understand and you also need to adhere to all those um, regulations from the Australian Energy Market Commission.
3: If you've just tuned in, we're talking to Johanna Bowers about the issues surrounding the development of community-owned and operated renewable energy microgrids. So, Johanna, you mentioned the time-of-use tariff. How did you decide on that tariff and what others did you look at?
0: So that tariff was something that... Narara Eco Village really wanted to incentivize customers to use more energy when there's lots of solar energy in the system. And I also looked at what would happen if the customers were on a regular time of use tariff, similar to what they'd get with an external retailer, or regular flat rate tariff, which is also they could get with an external retailer. And I looked at different, different metering so looking at gross metering or net metering and different um, demand charges. So sometimes customers can be charged for the peak amount of energy they use at a certain time. And that's also something that, that you can look at in tariffs. So I explored a lot of different tariffs and found that the solar time of use tariff is the one that will most incentivize customers to... Maximise the use of the solar energy system.
1: So, Johanna, are there regulatory restrictions on the type of tariffs that embedded networks can charge?
0: Yes, so there are a few regulatory restrictions. So, Narara Eco Village has to abide by the Australian energy market conditions for embedded networks. So, um, I'll just mention that Narara Eco Village Power, they actually have to apply to to be a network service provider and a retailer and um, because they're not a traditional network service provider and retailer, then they actually apply to Australian Energy Regulator to be an exempt retailer and an exempt network service provider. So
1: what does that exempt them from?
0: (laughs) It exempts them from the traditional rules that govern energy market operations and it means that they have to adhere to the rules for embedded networks.
1: Right,
0: okay. Yeah, and so the the rules for the tariffs for embedded networks pretty much say that you can't charge more on the embedded network than an external retailer would charge a similar customer. So you can't charge more than the residential rates if you have a residential customer. And um, so that that is really in place so that Embedded networks don't charge their customers a uh, exorbitantly high fee, so it makes sense.
1: Yes, yeah, and it um, doesn't sound like that's what NEV is setting out to do, anyway. No, not at all. And um, yeah, the
0: the energy regulators are just really trying to prevent that from happening.
2: And for embedded networks, is there a risk of them not being able to recover their charges um, for the distribution costs and so on? Yes.
0: Yeah, so. It's difficult to know exactly what the operations and maintenance costs of the grid would be each year. And, um, it's important for embedded network, embedded network retailers to be able to recover those costs. But because they're not a regular network service provider, they're not allowed to charge their customers for the provision of the embedded network. So normally a network service provider like AusGrid would have a regulated asset base and that means that they have like a certain amount of money that they spend on maintaining the grid and doing upgrades every year and they can charge that money to all the customers in their network in order to recover their costs. But in the embedded network, you're not actually allowed to do that directly because, um, yeah, it's kind of another mechanism to prevent embedded network operators from charging a really high amount of money for for the provision of the grid. So
3: only state so, retailers can charge a lot of money. <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
2: And, yeah. And you also referenced earlier um, this um, ch- uh, power of choice rule change and that that's a mm-hmm. problem also. Um, I would assume in, in these networks where they're doing so well for their customers that people aren't likely to want to change, but... What are the uh, just briefly? What are the implications of that uh, in trying to manage one of these embedded networks?
0: So, if one of the customers does choose to disconnect from the embedded network and enter into an energy sales contract with a regular retailer, say Origin or um, AGL, then it means that Narara Eco Village would. Might not be able to recover all their costs of the operation and maintenance of the grid because they have one less customer that's paying, mm-hmm. paying them less money. And so that can be a problem. And yeah, like you said, maybe it's, it's not that likely for customers to want to leave because they have decided they want to be in this community energy project and they want to support the project. And as long as the, As long as the community energy retailer can offer energy at a cheaper price, then probably it's not very likely that the customer will want to leave the embedded network.
3: So what are some of the other ways that community projects can make the most of their renewable energy
0: resources? So apart from um, creating innovative tariffs that incentivise consumption of the solar energy, communities can also... Used load management strategies um, in order to make them reduce their demand at certain times, to um, make them use more energy during the solar consumption during the solar period, or um, also they can reduce their demand at certain times so they don't have such a high peak demand because the network actually has to be designed for the demand at the peak. So whenever they're using the most amount of energy, all the poles and wires have to be rated for that amount. So if you can reduce that amount a bit, then it it can make it a fair bit cheaper. So, um, yeah, load management strategies can can be used in things like air conditioning or domestic hot water or electric vehicle charging, battery energy storage, and also in Narara Eco Village, they're going to have a, a water utility. They're going to do all their own um, water management. So that will also be a large load that you can control to be using energy at a time that's optimal for Narara Eco Village.
2: So um, we've only got a couple of minutes left, Joanna, unfortunately. And there's, I know you've got a lot of really interesting stuff on the load management. Um, just in summary, you've mentioned this water management, the water pumping. Um, mm-hmm. Hot water systems, I, I think you mentioned, is a major potential load management thing. Um, mm-hmm. Air conditioning, what are the other ones that I've forgotten? Um, yeah, so hot
0: water systems is a major one because most hot water systems, In Australia, um, they can account for 23% of the greenhouse gas emissions of an average residential occupancy, so that's a lot. That's a big Um, target. Air conditioning.
2: That's a big target. Um, Your battery systems, can that be used for the load management?
0: Yep, battery systems can be used for load management. Um, So we can be charging the batteries with all the excess solar energy that's in the network, and then people can be using that energy um, in the evenings, to take showers or do cooking and everything, and um, yeah, battery energy systems is a great great way to manage load, and also air conditioning. The the demand for mm-hmm. air conditioning can be reduced at certain times, or and electric um, vehicles. And
2: that, sorry, the electric vehicles. Yeah, electric, under, electric them,
0: vehicles yeah. also come into play because electric vehicles are pretty much big. Big batteries on wheels and, um, you can charge electric vehicles in the solar energy period as well so that you're using more renewable energy than, than if you would just charge the electric vehicles at any old time. So that's another thing that Narara Eco Village is looking at doing because in the future they hope to have an electric vehicle car sharing program so they can carpool their electric vehicles, which mm. is pretty cool.
3: Now, is, Johanna, can you tell us what community bodies looking to implement their own community energy project? Where would they start? So there's a really great community, and we've only got 20 community, seconds community to do
0: community
3: energy project. <laughs> we've just got 20 <laughs> so, seconds to...
0: Yeah. There's a community power agency that they can get in contact with that's focused on developing strategies for community energy. There's a coalition for community energy as well. And there's also a retailer called InnovA Energy that buys energy from community. That's energy That's right. And we've interviewed and them
3: before. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. And so they're they're another great um, company that supports community energy.
3: Yep, great. Thank you so much for your time today, Johanna. That's been very informative.
0: And thanks, Kay. Thanks for having
3: me. We've also got bze Zero Carbon Communities guide for people that are interested in more information. Now, the best way for people to find out more about Johanna's paper is going to the APVI website, apv.org.au. And Johanna is also happy for people to email her, johanna.bowyer, B O W Y E R, at gmail.com. We've been speaking to Johanna Bauer's about the development of community owned and operated renewable energy microgrids. The Beyond Zero show is brought to you by the climate change solutions think tank, Beyond Zero Emissions, and is recorded in the studios of 3CR Melbourne and syndicated around Australia on the community radio network. If you want to listen to this show or any of the others we've done, you can go to the website and click on podcasts. If you enjoy the program and like to donate, just go to the BZE website and click on the donate button. Thanks for listening and hope to catch you again next week.
1: Beyond Zero Emissions is an internationally recognised climate solutions think tank that is focused on solutions, not problems. Become part of the solution by becoming a monthly base load supporter. Go to www.bze.org.au to find out more. Bze.org.au
2: You've been listening to a 3CR podcast
1: produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia.